it's really almost too close to home, this parable, isn't it? You know, some Bible stories feel far removed from the 21st century, and we have to do a lot of work to bridge the cultural gap between the world of Scripture and the world of today. But it doesn't take too much imagination for this one. Living in Sonoma County makes it almost too easy. Here it is, harvest season, with workers literally going into vineyards around us each day. Many of those workers here are immigrants, of course, sometimes here for months at a time on a guest worker program, but there are also plenty of folks who do work as day laborers, maybe through formal day labor centers like the ones in Grayton or Healdsburg or Fulton, or maybe just by congregating outside a gas station or a hardware store, waiting for a pickup truck to roll in. It's been said that the United States has been moving more and more toward what experts call an hourglass society, divided into growing groups of the very rich and the very poor, with the middle class shrinking away. And today we heard a story straight out of the hourglass. Here's a wealthy boss with money to spend and a group of poor day laborers whose families are depending on their ability to get chosen to work today. Now, of course, this year in the midst of COVID-19, there are some special considerations. Earlier this week, I met a young woman. Let's call her Alicia. And she'd reached out to the church because her cell phone and internet bills were overdue and about to be cut off. And she told me her kids depended on the internet for school remote school, of course. And she told me that she had loved her job as an in-home helper to a family until it disappeared at the start of the pandemic shutdown. She told me that she had applied for plenty of assistance programs and gotten some help here and there, but as often as not gotten mired in endless denials and bureaucracies and delays. And I was able to help her a little with some discretionary fund money towards her utility bills that will hopefully at least delay them getting cut off. But it was really a drop in the bucket of what she needs. She was teary. She was exhausted. She said she couldn't afford to do her laundry. She said she wished she could still go to work. Now, of course, Back at the end of July, the weekly federal unemployment assistance benefit expired, and our leaders have been unable to agree on a replacement, and the plan to do so has essentially seemed to be shelved. And I told Alicia I was angry on her behalf. I'm angry that some of our leaders talk about not wanting to help poor workers through this situation because they're afraid of creating a disincentive to work at a time when there simply is no work for so many. And a lot shouldn't be working in person anyway in a time of pandemic. And I'm angry even while I benefit from the fact that professional class people like me and my spouse are able to carry on pretty much doing our work safely at a distance from home. While so many working class people's jobs are either done with more risk than ever, like store clerks or day laborers, or just shut down altogether like Alicia's. And so here we are back in the world of today's parable. Why are you standing idle? The landowner says to the workers. 
in the morning and at midday and in the afternoon because no one has hired us, they say. Our gospel story feels so relevant to today. And yet I don't know if it quite fits neatly into any one economic perspective. On the one hand, center-right capitalists might find something to like in this story. We have a wealthy landowner whose right to do what he wants with his money goes unchallenged. A landowner who perhaps is the stand-in for God. Do I not have the right to do what I choose with what is mine, he says, and the implied answer is yes. And there's a seeming emphasis on the dignity of work. The landowner doesn't simply hand out cash, he creates job opportunities. But on the other hand, those more radical in their economic tastes might find some things to like too. This is one socially conscious rich man. And what he chooses to do with what is his ends up being to create a full employment program for his village. Not only an employment program, but also a social safety net program that makes sure at the end of the day, even if there isn't enough work for everybody, everyone goes home with a living wage. It's an unusual setup to be sure. It doesn't please the ones who showed up early and worked all day. They're angry with good reason because the landowner kept his contract with them, but he gave the others a better deal. And it's not fair. It's not fair. We care a lot about fairness. We care about it from the time that we are very, very small. It's perhaps something that's ingrained in our species and even in other species. Maybe you've read about the research studies where capuchin monkeys are given a piece of cucumber for completing a task. And a capuchin monkey likes cucumbers pretty well. So it's happy to do the task and get the cucumber until it sees another monkey get a grape for the same task because these monkeys like grapes better. So as long as these monkeys just got the cucumber, everything was fine. But when they started to see their partner getting the grape, the cucumber monkeys started to go on strike. Sometimes they would even throw the cucumber back at the researcher. We care a lot about fairness. We can imagine playing out this parable into the future and wondering what will happen tomorrow or next week or next year. And who knows? Maybe the workers will start hiding out until later in the day so they don't have to get chosen too early. I'm not sure this parable is trying to outline a perfect system that we can implement in this world, although I think it has a lot to say about the injustices of our current one. But I think this parable is trying to tell us something about how God's economy works. In a human economy, so often people end up getting treated as means to an end. In God's economy, people are ends in themselves. In God's economy, the priority is making sure that everyone has enough. In a human economy, we care a lot about fairness. And fairness is what happens when you and I are both in competition for a limited set of resources. And so it's up to me to make sure that I get what's mine. In God's economy, there is more than enough to go around. And so God is really interested not in fairness, but in grace. 
Fairness is about scarcity. Grace is about plenty for all. Think of that story of God showering manna on the Israelites to feed them while they're wandering in the desert, where there's always enough manna for everyone every single day. And people can't hoard it up. It goes bad after a day. But God provides more each day, just in time, just as much as the people need. Or think of the heavenly banquet, that image that keeps repeating itself over and over throughout Scripture in the prophet Isaiah, in the book of Revelation, where the prophets talk about bread and milk and wine for all comers and without price. Think about Jesus making that story a reality, feeding 5,000 on the grass with 12 full baskets of leftovers. Or think about the story of the wedding at Cana, where Jesus changes water into so much wine, the best wine, that an entire party can never finish it. God's economy is about grace. It's about showering favors on those who have done nothing to earn them. It's God's answer to our human cycle of scarcity and violence. And it's grounded in the biggest act of generosity of all, which is God giving away God's own self out of love for you and me. In Jesus, we see the embodiment of self-giving. He doesn't hold on to the glory and privilege of being son of God. And what could be more glory and privilege than that? Instead, he takes that identity and makes it and makes his whole life a gift to the deserving and the undeserving alike. From the world of scripture to the world of today. From first century Judea to 21st Sonoma County. God's grace is the same. God's priorities are the same. How are we going to allow ourselves to be swept up in that economy of grace here and now? In this pandemic season, in this wildfire season, in this election season, how are we, as Jesus' disciples, called to let go of a fairness that's based on fear and live instead in a world where people are the priority and where there is enough so that none ever have to go without?